Hey, everybody. Welcome to the New Deal podcast, episode number two. I'm Jerry Nutini with the New Deal, and uh, I'm sorry that it took so long to get the second episode out. Life has been very busy. I know that I said after the first episode that I would get another episode out quickly, and that didn't happen. But here is an episode. This is going to be an episode 100% dedicated to the impeachment inquiry. Well, you're tired of hearing about the impeachment inquiry. Maybe. I think some people, like myself, are still thoroughly entertained by the whole thing. But maybe you're tired of the impeachment inquiry. Oh, I'm going to shut off this episode. I don't want to hear any more about it. Don't. Don't do that. Because there are aspects of this impeachment inquiry that have not been spoken about in the way that I feel like they needed to be. For whatever reason, uh, not only Democrats and Republicans aren't willing to say things that seem blatantly obvious or common sense, but neither are some of the political pundits on, you know, whatever your media outlet is. And, and this seems to be uh, generally universal. And it's a little bit confusing to me uh, because we see these arguments made by your everyday citizen, uh, but not in the media and not by representatives. And I think that's interesting. Um not everything I say will be new um, or even different, but I feel like there's there are several perspectives uh, that we can explore today on the New Deal uh, Impeachment Inquiry Exploratory Episode Number One, because I'm sure this will become a series because this impeachment is going to drag on a little bit, um, despite today two articles of impeachment being released by the House of Representatives, uh, the Judiciary Committee. Um, obstruction of Congress being the first and abuse of power being the second, um, a relatively narrow um, conclusion or a relatively narrow uh, path forward, I should say, based on those articles of impeachment uh, that are uh, that are before us now, but also pretty straightforward. Uh, not a lot of wiggle room in those. And I, I think that may have been um, a smart play politically, um, you know, by Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats, but we'll see. So the impeachment, um, I'm sure you've been paying attention and there is an impeachment on hand. And so so I'd like to get into first why we're, we are where we are with this impeachment inquiry. So for those of you who don't have all the details because you don't have time to watch the news or listen to the news like I do every day because who would do that with their lives? It's, you know, slow, brutal torture. Um, l- let's give a quick rundown. Why are we here? In July of this year, 2019, Robert Mueller sat before the House Intelligence Committee and he delivered a uh, he delivered testimony um, or a summary of his Russia collusion report. And his findings were that the Russia uh, that that Russia, the the nation, uh, did not collude directly with the Trump campaign. uh, So no collusion, um, but did find that there were at least 10 instances where there seemed to be pretty strong evidence that Donald Trump had obstructed justice during the course of that investigation. And Robert Mueller said that he did not feel it was his place, essentially, um, or responsibility to say whether or not those obstruction, uh, the obstruction evidence uh, should be brought uh, to, um, you know, charges or, or articles of impeachment, because that was the responsibility of Congress. Um, And they could decide they were given the information to decide. So contrary to some right wing uh, reports, the Mueller report did not exonerate President Trump. Um, It had more than enough grounds for several obstruction charges. The thing is, is that Mueller basically stepped back and said, this is not my responsibility and left it with the House. But the House is a political body. And at that point, I think Democrats especially realized that moving forward with Impeachment at that point, without there being strong evidence of collusion, would be a non-starter with the American people, both sides. And while I think there probably should have been impeachment inquiry then, uh, because I feel like obstructing the government that you are supposed to lead, um, you know, not subscribing to the constitutional institutions of America as the president, um, I, I think that's impeachable. Um, but they didn't for political reasons because politics are political and no impeachment at that time. All right, whatever. We're, we're all ready to move on. We're all ready to just move on. There's no collusion. Democrats are like, oh, well, there was obstruction and, and people on the right can say, oh, well, there's no collusion. And everyone's generally 
equally happy and dissatisfied, right? Moving on, moving on. Elections a year and a half, two years away, we, we can move on. The next day, Donald Trump engaged in a phone call with the newly elected president of Ukraine, Vladimir Zelensky. The next day, the day after the impeachment, um, Mueller's impeachment testimony, the next day, I, I cannot reiterate this enough, the next day, from the transcript of that call, um, the president, quote, I would like you to do us a favor, though, because our country has been through a lot and Ukraine knows a lot about it. I would like you to find out what happened with this whole situation with Ukraine. They say CrowdStrike. I guess you have one of your wealthy people, the server, they say Ukraine has it. There are a lot of things that went on, the whole situation. I think you're surrounding yourself with some of the same people. I would like to have the Attorney General, Bill Barr, call you or your people, and I'd like you to get to the bottom of it, as you said yesterday. That whole nonsense ended with a very poor performance by a man named Robert Mueller, an incompetent performance, but they say a lot of it started with Ukraine. Whatever you can do, it is very important that you do it, if that's possible. Zelensky, quote, Yes, it is very important for me and everything that you just mentioned earlier. And and stopping there. We have a transcript of this call. The whole thing that got us into this impeachment inquiry is Donald Trump is engaging with the foreign leader asking for a favor. And that favor um, comes to be uh, that Donald Trump is asking for the investigation into uh, Joe Biden and Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden. Um, well, what's up with the Bidens? Well, it's kind of complicated. Also not, but politics. So earlier... Uh, uh, several years ago, Hunter Biden was offered a, p a position on the board of a company called Burisma, uh, Ukraine-based. And this company is known for its corruption. Um, why Hunter Biden would take a position with a corrupt Ukrainian company is kind of beyond anyone, um, except for maybe the fact that they were paying him stupid amounts of money to do absolutely nothing. Um, but that's his prerogative. And people get hired for jobs they don't deserve all the time, especially rich people. This isn't much different. So it's not really shady. It's just kind of gross. It's gross and probably irresponsible on the part of Hunter Biden. Um, Joe Biden was the vice president at the time. Um, George Ken, uh, a State Department official, brought to Joe Biden's attention at the time Hunter Biden took this position that it may look um, not so good. Uh, of course, Joe Biden's uh, other son, Bo, uh, was currently battling uh, brain cancer. Uh, he would later die of the brain cancer. And Joe Biden told Ken or uh, Biden's team that Joe Biden at the time did not have the bandwidth to deal with Hunter Biden uh, while his other son was essentially on his deathbed. In 2015, um, Joe Biden bragged about, um, or, or rather, Joe, Joe Biden uh, asked the Ukrainian people, uh, the Ukrainian government at the time, to remove their prosecutor general, uh, Viktor Shokin, um, because Shokin had a reputation of corruption within Ukraine. Um, many people said he had a do not prosecute list. I mean, that being the prosecutor general, if you are not willing to prosecute certain people, um, that creates a, an environment where corruption can thrive. So Joe Biden um, told the president then, uh, Poroshenko, that if they did not get rid of Viktor Shokin uh, within the day, six hours until Biden left, uh, that the U.S. would not provide Ukraine with $1 billion um, in aid. And there's a video that came out later with bragging, Biden bragging that, and son of a bitch, uh, per, you know, Poroshenko got rid of him. Um, and so Trump, Donald Trump, wanted this situation kind of cleared up because there was also an, insinu uh, an insinuation that Joe Biden's firing of this prosecutor would have somehow um, absolved or ended uh, Ukrainian investigations into the company Burisma, thereby somehow exonerating or um, keeping his son from any legal trouble. Um, it's since come out that 
That investigation in Ukraine had been stagnant for some time. Uh, there was no active investigation into Hunter Biden himself. Um, and again, while the situation is gross, um, this, this story was actually debunked completely in 2016. Um, the, the firing of uh, Viktor Shokin uh, had no bearing on any of the investigation into Burisma, um, and Joe Biden did not act on in the interest of his son. Um, so, so you have Donald Trump wanting... Hunter Biden investigated for joining this organization, wanting Joe Biden investigated for uh, or originally um, trying to get, you know, potentially his son off the hook for for something, you know, who knows what. And now later with this billion dollar thing, um, you, you see Republicans trying to equate this billion dollar um, withholding of, of, of funds uh, to what happened with Trump's withholding of funds, which we'll get into later. So. The situation rises. Trump wants this investigation. He reaches out to a foreign entity. Um, he reaches out to a foreign government uh, in, in President Zelensky, and he asks for a favor. And the favor he asked for is an investigation into the Bidens. And the issue here is that Joe Biden had declared his candidacy for president of the United States in 2020 several months before and was currently leading the polls at the time that uh, Donald Trump made this ask. So Donald Trump is asking a foreign president to investigate the political frontrunner, um, political rival who is the frontrunner, um, in, in opposition. Um, in, in short, the argument is that Donald Trump asked a foreign nation to help him in his own election. Uh, to give him an advantage in his own election here in the U.S. Um, that's the argument for election. Uh, sorry, <laughs> for impeachment. So that kind of lays the groundwork. That's the situation. So we have this call uh, referred to as the July 25th call. So this call comes out. Everyone scrambles. What's going on? Uh, big deal. I saw the news that day and I knew that impeachment was coming because you can't. You can't not. You, you, you have a president who had been... Um, accused and investigated for colluding with a foreign entity in the 2016 election. And literally the day after that report is, you know, testimony is given on that report. He is then asking another country to aid him in his 2020 election. It's not a good look. And it's certainly not something that anyone should should be overlooking. Uh, Trump called this a perfect call. He said this this call was perfect. Um, Re Re Republicans were were. Uh, some came out in staunch defense. Others said it was wrong that he that he did this, uh, but not impeachable. And 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 so here we are um, in the process. Today. So a lot has happened. Uh, a lot of witnesses testified last month before the House um, Intelligence Committee. So the layout for this impeachment is the following: Last month we saw in front of the House Intelligence Committee uh, witnesses give sworn testimony, um, both behind closed doors and and, and public testimony. Um, that would lay out facts or or help to build the case for articles of impeachment to be drawn against Donald Trump. That committee was led by Adam Schiff uh, and uh, ranking member uh, Devin Nunez for the Republican Party. After the Intelligence Committee conducted their uh, evidence gathering, um, they created a report, uh, which has since been published, um, and, and provided that report to the House Judiciary Committee. The Judiciary Committee's responsibility is to then look at all the facts provided in the report and decide which articles of impeachment, if any, will be drawn up against the president and with what evidence. Those articles of impeachment, of impeachment once drafted, will then be sent to the Senate, where trial will be held. And uh, I believe both sides, it depends on you know what format they decide to, to go with, um, but both the um, pro-impeachment and, uh, you know, non-impeachment sides uh, will will argue uh, whether or not impeachment is prudent um, and removal of office. And uh, then Congress will, sorry, the Senate will vote uh, needing a two-thirds majority whether or not the president should be removed from office. So the House will impeach the president, likely, and then the Senate will vote on whether or not to remove the president, not so likely. But here we are. So we saw some testimony last month. I just want to kind of go over the testimony very quickly, kind of the key points, just go over them real fast, um, because I really wanted to get into like what the arguments for and against impeachment are from my perspective, where we're going, and what our responsibility is as U.S. citizens in this very um, 
important moment in history because this is an important moment in history. And, and to kind of preface what I'm going to say later, this is only the fourth time in U.S. history that a U.S. president has undergone an impeachment inquiry. And uh, the others being, I believe, Andrew Jackson, Bill Clinton, and uh, Nixon, uh, which got to the House, but then he resigned before the articles of impeachment were brought to the Senate. Um, And here we have Donald Trump, now two articles of of impeachment against him, more than likely, um, should the House vote to move those forward. So, So first, it's rare. Second is, and I feel like this gets overlooked, and this argument isn't made enough, this sets precedent. Um, so we, we hear that a lot with the courts, right? When, when a court makes a ruling on something they haven't ruled on before, um, they are essentially setting precedent for the future. For instance, uh, let's take Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade was upheld or, or, or passed down by the Supreme Court, and that set precedent in this nation that abortion is a legal, is a legal right um, upheld by the courts. And, and and therefore, it's very difficult for anyone to overturn that because the precedent is that abortion is legal. This impeachment will do the same thing in a very different way. This impeachment will essentially, moving forward, dictate how much power the president of the United States can have. I don't want to use the word should because I think can and should are very different perspectives. So the issue here is this. Should the American people be okay with our president regularly, any president in the future from now on, should we be okay with that president calling any foreign leader and asking for help with their bid in upcoming elections? And this can play out in a lot of terrible, terrible ways. Because if we, if that president make certain favors to foreign nations to get their backing for helping in an election, our president has then undercut his authority. He is essentially at the whim of other nations. It weakens his presidency. It weakens the United States, and it makes us vulnerable. That's what's at stake. If we set the precedent that that type of behavior is not only okay, but not even impeachable, That means that moving forward, any president, Republican or Democrat, can enlist the aid of a foreign nation or foreign leaders in in elections. And we're a nation of free and fair, supposedly, elections. So that's what's at stake here. So for anyone who thinks this is a sham, as Republicans have said multiple times in in, in the hearings, um, for anyone who thinks this is a farce, whether you agree or disagree... With Democrats, whether you agree, whether you are a Democrat or you are a Republican, that's what's at stake. That is a fact. That is not debatable. This trial will set that precedent. So that's what we have to look at. That's what we are responsible for as American people. Um, we, public opinion, will sway this 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 inquiry. So, before I get too far into that argument, we saw a testimony from. Uh, several witnesses. And full disclosure, I recorded like an additional 15 minutes and got way too into the details of the testimony. So now I'm going to try to summarize that so that you don't have to deal with all the details because that's what I promised you. So we had witnessed from several uh, key witnesses. Uh, Those witnesses were uh, mostly State Department officials. Uh, George Kent, Bill Taylor, uh, Fiona Hill, um, Alexander Vindman, worked for the National Security Council, I believe, um, and was in on the phone call. Um, so we, we heard from him. Um, we heard from several people who were on the call, several people whose jobs were affected by um, a shadow campaign, essentially, um, led by um, Donald Trump, allegedly, and Rudy Giuliani. So a few things. So the testimony um, was was needed to show a few things in order for it to move forward. Um, the first argument Republicans made when this broke was that there was no quid pro quo. Um, that is, there was no this for that, that because Donald Trump didn't ask for anything in return, um, supposedly, uh, for for this favor of investigation, that it would, there, there was nothing wrong with it. Um, he could ask for an investigation. It was within his right. Um, but, but documents in the closed-door depositions um, and the closed-door depositions um, showed that 
in fact, several things were being um, either withheld or asked for. Um, the first was that uh, Zelensky would be offered a White House visit um, if, if this happened, and that the nearly 400, sorry, $400 million in U.S. aid to Ukraine um, would be essentially withheld until this investigation was publicly announced, um, therefore establishing a quid pro quo. Um, so, so the testimony needed a few things. It needed to, um, I don't think it needed to show a quid pro quo, but, but for, 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 you know, general sake, let's say it needed to establish a quid pro quo. It needed to establish who the players were, um, in this, um, let's call it a conspiracy. Um, it needed to link, um, all the events and, and, and circumstances in a way that showed a clear timeline of what happened, when it happened, and who was involved. And we, and we, and we got that. So the State Department officials, um, it opened with, with George Kent and Bill Taylor, and they did a really good job laying out why Ukraine is important to the United States um, in regard to our own national security. Um, and they also provided their own testimony as to how Giuliani was involved and what other, um, you know, State Department officials were involved in what happened in Ukraine. But but what they really did well was show the American people why the Ukraine is important and, and, and how they are the front line um, to Russia, uh, not only for, not only in the, their current war with Russia, but they're they they're also symbolic. They R- Russia is trying to grow its power in the world. They have invaded Ukraine and hold seven percent of Ukraine's territory. If the if the U.S. shows any hesitation in the support for Ukraine, it opens the door for Russia to fill that void and to go in and to, and take the power. Um, it shows weakness on our part, which enables Russia to do more. Plain and simple, and a stronger Russia at least right now, is is a bad thing for the United States um, because our intelligence agencies unanimously con- concluded that Russia conducted concerted and deliberate interference in the election in 2016. Russia is dangerous, and Ukraine, um, who's currently being invaded right now actively by Russia, is on the front lines, and it's with, for, you know, uh, Taylor and Kent did a great job of explaining why the Ukraine is important to U.S. foreign policy and, and for our own national security. Um, they also laid out, uh, you know, kind of the beginnings of of this, uh, what Bill Taylor called an irregular channel. The irregular tan- channel being um, foreign policy conducted by Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, outside the normal means of U.S. foreign policy, which would be the State Department and these U.S. ambassadors. Um, so that testimony open that door. And at the end of Bill Taylor's testimony, um, he uh, mentioned that it had come to his attention that one of his staff members had overheard Gordon Sunland, a Trump-appointed ambassador, um, make a phone call in public from a cell phone to the president of the United States, in which basically um, Trump asked about the investigations and uh, whether or not Zelensky was going to do it. And Sunland responded, yeah, he's going to do it. I mean, so, so Trump is looking for this investigation to be conducted and the quid pro quo begins to be established. And again, through the closed door deliberations. Um, we then heard from s- several people who were on the call who just kind of corroborated that, yes, um, when they heard the call on July 25th, they were concerned um, that it did seem like uh, there was, you know, that that aid to the Ukraine was being uh, based contingent upon this uh, investigation and and uh, into the Bidens, um, and just kind of more testimony that, that that supported that conclusion. Gordon Sunland then testified that indeed Donald Trump definitely had asked for a quid pro quo, um, which contradicted his prior testimony. So so there's there's a little bit of a question there, um, but he was very clear, and this is, this is someone who donated millions of dollars to Donald Trump. Um, in 2016, um, this gentleman said that Donald Trump, in fact, was this was a quid pro quo. The investigations needed to happen in order for this White House meeting to happen and for their aid to be released. So, so we're we're getting this testimony from these highly credible, with with maybe the exception of some these highly credible career civil servants who are members of the State Department who you know ha- are are 
and in, in, especially in the case of Marie Ivanovich, are, are anti-corruption. These people want the best for Ukraine. They want the best for U.S. foreign policy. And they're testifying before Congress in defiance of Donald Trump, who said that they should not testify. So, so they're doing their, uh, they're they're doing their patriotic duty uh, in performing in in testifying before before the American people. So, the testimony was highly intriguing, and it brought a lot of new information to the table. Um, there were other players, um, you know, uh, Kurt Volker testified as well, you know, other ambassadors, but unanimous, unanimously um, to heavily, heavily, heavily summarize the testimony. Um, it was un- unanimously, it was unanimously agreed upon that there was a back channel run by Rudy Giuliani and associates um, in conducting a kind of second foreign policy um, with Ukraine. That second foreign policy being that investigations must be conducted into the Bidens um, in exchange for this aid and a White House meeting. And the people involved in that conspiracy uh, led by Donald Trump and kind of spearheaded by Rudy Giuliani uh, were Mike Pompeo, um, Kurt Volker, who testified, Gordon Sundland, who testified, um, and several Ukrainians, um, including uh, Yuri Lutsenko. Um, and and so we've established the players. We've established the timeline. We've established that there, there was a quid pro quo, and we've established that the this back channel um, foreign policy was not the official U.S. stance. That is to say, the State Department was conducting one version of U.S. foreign policy, let's call it the official U.S. foreign policy, while Donald Trump and gang were conducting the irregular channel, um, let's call it the uh, the Trump channel, the Trump policy. So, and by the way, the testimony was awesome, and, and I watched as much as I could. And if you're remotely interested in politics and you were just too busy, you didn't get a chance to watch it, like, please go check out the highlights. Yes, yes, the highlights of the uh, congressional hearings. And that sounds super corny, but do it because there's so much information. So, uh, so, so great. So, so we get this testimony and the uh, House uh, writes up a report, 300 pages, um, basically laying out this evidence for the House Judiciary Committee. Their report is passed on to the Judiciary Committee. And the Judiciary Committee last week had three constitutional lawyers uh, before them to just kind of explain what is impeachment, uh, what justifies impeachment, uh, have we seen impeachment before, and, and, and what does it take? And I thought that was also fascinating. Um, two of the, uh, sorry, three of the um, lawyers were... Um, brought on by Democrats, one by the Republicans. And uh, they they all agreed that, you know, this type of action could be impeachable. Um, the the Republican uh, witness, let's call it, um, said that if you want to impeach the president, we should take more time. Um, and and, and I, I may agree with him there um, because it is a heavy moment and, and you should establish a stronger uh, case and you should take more time. Um, but, but the other three were pretty, pretty sure that Given the evidence at hand, this is already impeachable. Um, and, and just to go over impeachment real, real quick for those of you who haven't, um, you know, kind of been been listening. Um, the Constitution um, says that the president, vice president, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. Um, also, Cool thing I learned today, well, maybe not cool, just interesting. Um, the president shall have power to grant reprieves and pardons for offenses offenses against the United States, except in cases of impeachment. And um, I don't know necessarily how that reads, but I'm interested that if Donald Trump is impeached um, and he's promised, uh, you know, maybe some uh, pardons to some people who have defended him in the past, it'd be interesting to see, you know, what happens should, you know, those pardons not go through. Um, for some of, you know, the, the people who have gone to prison on his account. So, um, treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. Um, again, the constitutional lawyers kind of laid out the definitions for these terms, um, in historical and modern context. It was, it was very interesting. Um, but, but that's what impeachment is. So we had the constitutional lawyers, again, very interesting. Go watch the highlights. Um, just like sports, you know, go watch the highlights. And then, um, you know, yesterday, 
um, as I'm recording this, um, we, we saw a uh, an impeachment hearing in which, you know, we had fact witnesses, which were the counsels for the Republicans and the Democrats during the Intelligence Committee hearings. Um, we, we saw them present the information and then answer questions based on that information. So that's where we are. So I want to start with yesterday. I want to start with what I saw yesterday. So first of all, the Democrats showed up, and, and I truly believe I'm being impartial here. And the people who know me that are Republicans are, are probably laughing, laughing, but I'm trying to be impartial. If you watched yesterday, the Democrats showed up. They came prepared. They had slides. They had shots of transcripts. They had shots of telephone. They, they, they had audio from telephone calls. They had audio of TV. They had, um, you know, documents on the screen for everyone in the room to see. The Republicans brought nothing. I am not exaggerating. The Republicans brought nothing. They did not bring any evidence that um, said anything to the contrary, no documents to support an opinion that any of what the Democrats presented was either untrue or miscontextualized. Um, they really just argued process the whole time. What do I mean that by that? They, they said the rules weren't fair. The committee rules weren't fair. They should have been allowed this or they should have been allowed that. The fact of the matter is, is that the Judiciary Committee, one, invited the president or um, or counsel, the White House, to come defend themselves at this hearing. And the White House declined. And that needs to be made extremely clear. For anyone who says that Donald Trump has not had a fair shot at this, they had a chance to defend themselves yesterday publicly in front of the American people, and they declined to do so. So they have barred witnesses from testifying actively, and then they failed to show up for their own, you know, chance at defense. Number one. Um, so, but, but the Republican defense, they, they, they argued this process that they, they, they weren't able to call witnesses. They weren't able to defend themselves. But again, the president chose not to show up and the Republican counsel did not bring any documents. And if this were a court of law, the Republicans had no exhibit A. They didn't have an exhibit A. And if you are trying to exonerate the the, the president of the United States, if you truly believe the president of the United States should not be impeached, do the American people the favor of actually fucking showing up to a hearing prepared. Like, you're not in high school. Do your freaking homework. Show up prepared. Act professionally. And do your job. It's indecent to the, to the American people. Whether or not you think Donald Trump should be impeached. It is insulting that the Republican council could not even show up with any, not even one, not even a joke document to throw up on the screen and be like, well, look at this, this thing, this, this is a pink piece of paper. It's blank, but it shows if you, if you read into the pink piece of paper, metaphorically, uh, you know, this pink piece of paper was on Donald Trump's desk and pink is the same color that is around on Valentine's Day, which is the holiday of love, and Donald Trump, therefore, loves everybody and would never do this to the American people, and this pink piece of paper proves it. We didn't even get a pink piece of paper. It's disgusting. I digress. So you watch the hearing. The Democrats show up prepared. They have this compelling testimony. Um, I thought, I thought they took the evidence that was presented from the witnesses. They put it together. They said, here's the timeline. Here's what happened. Here's when happened. Uh, sorry. Here's what happened. Here's when it happened. Here's who was involved at each key point. Here's why it was quid pro quo. Here's why it's impeachable. And that was laid out, which I think is important. And I think if you had watched the hearing on C-SPAN without any commentary, and then you didn't go watch any commentary anywhere else later that day. If you watched C-SPAN yesterday and you're sitting here today, I don't think you could have come away from that watching that hearing thinking there's not something here. Maybe you don't think it's impeachable. Um, may maybe you disagree on some premise. But I don't think you could have watched that hearing and thought, wow, there's absolutely no case here whatsoever. There's not grounds for this. This is all just, this isn't even a smoking gun. I don't think anyone with half a mind that can critically think could have watched yesterday and, and come away feeling that way. I don't. So given that, given the strength of 
given what I think is strength of evidence, but, but at a minimum, what I think is compelling evidence, I want to address what the arguments against impeachment are right now, because I think they're silly. And, and this goes back to the precedent a little bit and what's at stake. So, so let me spell that out again. What is at stake? This impeachment inquiry will set precedent. Will. This is not a question. This impeachment inquiry will set precedent will set what we as American people feel is acceptable behavior for any president, Democrat, Republican, independent, horse party in the future, like whatever it is, this will set precedent as to what is the president is allowed to do in regard to their own reelection involving foreign nations. That is what is at stake. Point blank. Not arguable. Not debatable. That's what's at stake. So understand that. So the first argument against impeachment was... And, and this has essentially been debunked. There's no quid pro quo. But before we even debunk quid pro quo, I, I really don't believe we need a quid pro quo. Let's put it in its simplest terms. The president of the United States reached out to a foreign leader and asked that foreign leader to initiate an investigation against our president's, for, our, our president's political rival. I'll say it again. The president of the United States asked a foreign leader to help him investigate a political rival. I'm done there. That's all I need. I'm sorry. You're the leader of the United States of America. It is unforgivable, unacceptable, unconstitutional, impeachable for you to reach out to the a leader of any foreign nation, I don't care if it's Canada, and ask for that nation to investigate one of your political rivals so that you have a better shot, you have a smear against that opponent in a domestic election. And I think the Constitution is pretty clear on that. So no quid pro quo. I think the evidence shows pretty strongly that there was a quid pro quo. But I don't think a quid pro quo is necessary. I think a quid pro quo makes it that much worse. And the fact that a quid pro quo has even been remotely substantiated, I think should be the end for Donald Trump in the eyes of all Americans. But for some reason, it's not. But that's the first argument against the president. No quid pro quo. So we move beyond quid pro quo. The Republicans kind of gave that up because it seems like there probably was a quid pro quo. And the new argument is, well, it's bad, but it's not impeachable. I'll get to it later because that's weird. That's a weird thing to say. It's just a weird thing to say. But the next the, the, the next argument is, oh, well, it overturns an election. 60 million something people voted for this president. And if we impeach him, it overturns an election. What? No electorate electing a president is sitting there thinking, oh, this president, you know, they're probably going to commit an impeachable act. So, you know, we should elect them. The electorate doesn't ever know if a president is going to commit impeachable offenses. Impeachment is there to remove a president for wrongdoing. It is not the, oh, it doesn't overturn an election. If Donald Trump actually shot somewhere on Fifth Avenue, I don't care if a hundred million people voted for him. He should be impeached and then he should be tried, convicted and sent to jail for his crime whenever within the election cycle. It doesn't matter how many people vote for you. Just because 60 something million people vote for you doesn't mean you can do whatever the fuck you want and get away with it. It's a dumb fucking argument. It doesn't overturn an election. It holds our president accountable for doing terrible things. Doing unconstitutional things, things that are dangerous to national security. It holds them accountable. And it, it's unbelievable to me that elected officials who supposedly have like careers in law and all that, that they would even begin to make that argument. It is juvenile and it's, and it's baseless, frankly. And the fact that they spew this as if it's some type of like, oh, well, it overturns an election, like it's an insult to the American people for impeachment. Impeachment is there to protect the American people. So don't turn impeachment on the American people because you don't want your guy to be impeached. Don't turn it on us. Don't spin it to the American people like impeachment's always a bad thing because that's what we need to realize here. Any argument that's used now against impeachment is something that is going to be used by people later. It may be politically convenient now to make it, but guess what? American citizens remember those arguments. So don't diminish impeachment as just a way to overturn an election because that's not its purpose. And that's not what's happening here. Because if you watched the hearing yesterday, there is at least 
compelling evidence to suggest that something did happen and that Trump did do something at least untowardly and that perhaps he should be held accountable for that at a minimum. It's a juvenile argument. So quid pro quo and overturns an election. Cool. Next one, there's an election in 2020. Again, juvenile, absolutely stupid. And I'm sorry I'm getting worked up. But again, if the president, if if it, it, it's 2020, it's June 2020. It's June. The election is in November. It's coming up. And Donald Trump shoots someone on Fifth Avenue. I want to know who's going to be like, well, you know, we could impeach him because, you know, what he did, not great, not fun. Like that guy, super dead in the street. And Donald Trump did it. And, um, but you know, I think we should let the American people decide if that was wrong in November. And I don't think we should impeach him. No, he did something wrong. He did something that is not supposed to be done by the president of the United States. The president of the United States should not murder someone on Fifth Avenue. And the president of the United States should not enlist a foreign nation or a foreign leader, should not ask, request, bribe, whatever you want to call it, should not ask for help in his election campaign. Shouldn't do it. Shouldn't kill people. Shouldn't enlist foreign governments in your election. It's wrong. And if it's wrong, it's impeachable. And if it's impeachable, the timetable doesn't matter because the, because saying that we should wait is, an, is, is, is disregarding the Constitution. It's saying, oh, well, we'll defend the Constitution, but only when it's politically convenient. We can, we can live with unconstitutional acts as long as we're in an election year. And the same stuff goes with the election of judges to the Supreme Court and the whole shit Mitch McConnell pulled. Oh, it's an election year. We elect presidents for four years. They serve terms for four years. Unless they come, so, so they get the responsibility, it should be for the full term, unless they commit an impeachable act, in which case that impeachable, the impeachment inquiry should begin immediately. I don't care if there's four years left, three years left, whatever, two days left. It's unacceptable not to move on impeachment if the president potentially committed an impeachable offense. It, it, it's unconstitutional not to pursue impeachment. It is the constitutional duty of the House. So I don't care if there's an election in 2020, because it doesn't matter when it happened. If he did it his first month in office or his last month in office, it doesn't matter. Impeachment should be followed up on. This is the process that we should be in. It is a juvenile argument, and I cannot believe that elected officials who supposedly have education in law and everything else even begin to make these arguments. These are arguments that middle schoolers can tear apart. It's embarrassing for everyone. So quid pro quo, quid pro quo, it overturns an election. There's an election in 2020. The next one, Democrats fear he will win an election. Same thing, guys, same thing. It has nothing to do with fear of Donald Trump winning an election and everything to do with the fact that Donald Trump very likely com committed what the founding fathers at least would have considered an impeachable act. It's not a removal for office because we don't like him. And yes, has there been crying wolf all for, for a lot of this presidency? Yes. But just because that was there does not mean that what Donald Trump did is somehow excusable. Just because people don't like you for two years doesn't mean that then you get to do whatever you want. When you do something wrong, you are accountable, regardless of the context. And we need that accountability. So it's not about Democrats fearing that Donald Trump will win the election. This is Donald Trump committed what the evidence seems to suggest is an impeachable offense. So it doesn't matter when the election is. It doesn't matter if the Democrats fear he will be reelected. Of course, the Democrats don't want Donald Trump to be, win the presidency in 2020. But guess what? Donald Trump did some shit. And it's at least worthy of an impeachment inquiry. So don't say that we're only doing this because of fear he will win an election when Republicans are saying that the call was wrong, when Republicans are saying that the action is wrong. Just because they're not willing to say it's impeachable does not mean that we shouldn't be in an impeachment inquiry because even Republicans are admitting it was wrong. They just won't take the extra step to say it's impeachable. I don't know why, because they're worried about their own careers, which I also think is inexcusable and kind of pathetic and certainly does not does no service to this country. I mean, talk about serving out of your own self-interest. But I digress. So, quid pro quo. It overturns an election. There's an election in 2020. Democrats fear he'll win the election in 2020. It should not be partisan. Impeachment should not be partisan. 
And this one, this one perhaps makes me the most upset of all the arguments so far. It, it, it was brought up, it was brought up consistently throughout the healing hearings that impeachment should not be a partisan process. And, and Republicans quoted Democrats as saying it during the impeachment hearing and founding fathers were quoted. But let's be realistic for a minute. This nation is, no surprise to anyone, more divided now than it has been maybe ever, certainly since Vietnam, maybe since the Civil War. There, we're, we're operating from the left, extreme left and extreme right in a lot of cases. We're operating based on political uh, loyalty to party. And so let's be real. Donald Trump committed an impeachable offense, and Republicans are defending that impeachable offense and are likely going to uphold the precedent because, because of party, because of party loyalty, Republicans are going to uphold the precedent that the president of the United States can enlist foreign leaders in our election process. That is what is happening. There's no way around it. The founding fathers could not have or did not see a, a, a future when something, when an egregious act by a president could be committed, but that he would then have the backing of his entire party. Because it seems like the founding fathers may have been slightly idealistic in thinking that if someone does something impeachable, that everyone would see that it was impeachable, and then they would they would impeach the president regardless of party. But that's not happening here because if people move to impeach Donald Trump and they're Republicans, they're worried they're, they're going to lose their election and they value their spot as a congressman or senator more than they value the history and, and the future of our nation, more than they value the freedom and security of our elections um, over, you know, they value that over over constitutionality. And, it, and, it, and it, it's it's scary, but it could not have been predicted by the founding fathers that it, it's almost as if you have a mob and, and the Republican Party is not the mafia, but but we have someone committing a crime or, or someone committing an impeachable offense in the president. We have members of the administration actively supporting him in that effort, as the evidence has substantiated. And then we have everyone in that party who holds the majority in the Senate backing the president because they don't want to take the political risk of going against the president. And therefore, we as a nation are in a situation where we're about to uphold, we're about to allow the impeachable offense of a president enlisting a foreign nation interfering in our elections. We're about to allow that to stand for political loyalty. And that is the beginning or maybe the middle of the fall of our democracy. And I'm not trying to be... Um, I'm not, I'm not trying to be over the top, but 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 that's what's at stake. That's we're, we're, this sets precedent. That is what is at stake today. Kevin McCarthy, um, House member, Republican, uh, said, said that no other president was impeached in their first term, and he didn't think impre president should be uh, go through impeachment in their first term. And I don't understand what this argument about time is. Oh, it's close to an election. Oh, let the American people decide. Election this, election that. Oh, it's his first term. If that's your only argument, if the only thing you have to argue is that we're either too close to an election or we're within the first four years or we're scared, you know, Democrats, if that is your only argument, if you can't go find facts that actually refute the argument that's being made, you don't have a case. And if you don't have a case, you do not have an excuse to vote against impeachment. You don't have a reason other than I don't think it's impeachable. But let me tell you something. Every representative who votes against impeachment is going to be questioned in the history books. Every senator who votes not to remove from office, should America survive long enough for this to make it to our history books, is going to be asked, okay, you don't think it was impeachable. But no one is asking why those people don't think it's impeachable. What is your justification for this not being impeachable act? Because that's the question that needs to be asked now. The evidence substantiates the claims. The evidence substantiates the timeline. The evidence substantiates the conspiracy. And the evidence, for all intents and purposes, substantiates a quid pro quo. So if you think it's wrong, you need to justify why it's not impeachable. 
You need to provide an argument to the American people why you think this is not an impeachable offense. You need to explain to the American people why you think it's okay that a sitting president can go to any foreign leader and say, hey, uh, you, I think you got some dirt on this guy. Uh, he's running against me in the next election. You want to you want to toss that over here? Is that the kind of country that we think America is? Is that the kind of country that we want to live in? Because if it's not, you need to wake up and realize that this is huge for the country. This isn't about removing Donald Trump from office. This is about setting precedent in our nation and keeping our elections fair and free and making sure that our elections cannot be interfered with by a foreign nation. In this case, by invitation, this is big. This is real. This is happening in our lifetimes, and this is our moment. There is great weight on this moment. This will be one of those moments that will go in the history books as a momentous decision that we will either move, be able to move on from um, saying, oh, that was a close one, what was going on there, or, or setting us up for a future where foreign nations routinely are are both invited um, or not invited, but either way, foreign nations will hold sway over U.S. elections. And U.S. presidents will be susceptible to um, to, to, the, to the power of other nations. I mean, th- think about it. If, if someone's running for office and, you know, a foreign country says, hey, you know, we've got this stuff on you, um, we won't release it. Uh, you know, to your general public, we won't release it to your opponent. Um, if you know you promise us that you know, as as a matter of your national security, you you, t- you take the stance, that would be okay. It would be okay for that candidate to say, okay, well, um, yep, here's here's a national security policy, um, uh, for, for for you to withhold that information. Um, so so there's a quid pro quo, but it'd be okay. Um, and and if they refused. Um, it would also be okay for that foreign nation to then hand that information over to the political opponent because it's okay for a um, so someone running for office to take incriminating information from a foreign nation as a quid pro quo because this will set the precedent for that. And if you think I'm exaggerating or not, please tell me the difference. Think about it and tell me how I'm wrong. Because, and I very rarely take such a hard stance, but I'm not. I'm not wrong. Setting precedent is a serious, serious Thing. And if another president does this in the future, they're just going to say, well, you know, Donald Trump did the same thing and he wasn't impeached for it. And therefore, my defense is that this is not this is not an impeachable offense. The 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 Congress has ruled previously that this is not an impeachable offense. And therefore, I am completely justified in my actions. And someone running for office who then earns office can can use this after the fact. They can use this information to get into office and then use it, or they can use it while they're they're in office. But but that's that's our reality. That's where we are. That's what we are up against, and it's real, and it's heavy, and it's scary, and it makes me worried as an American. It makes me it makes me sad that we live in that I'm living my life in in this point in American history because this isn't supposed to be possible it's certainly not supposed to be excusable i'm you know you know and 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 so i struggle personally just from a personal moment i struggle to understand the other side i struggle to understand where they're coming from a good economy is not an excuse to keep a president who's committed an impeachable offense in office the good economy will continue whether or not donald trump is in office guys if donald trump is impeached mike pence takes over is the policy going to change? No, there's still going to be an election in 2020. You're still going to have your chance to keep your guy in, Trump or otherwise. But the economy is going to stay where it is, you know, until we go into the recession that's predicted for next year. But like, what are you afraid of? Okay, the economy's good, great. Jobs are good, great. We're all happy about that. Except we don't think that the second Donald Trump is out of office, we're going to lose that because we enjoyed the same type of prosperity in the last term of Obama. So we're feeling pretty good about it. But it should never be an excuse to keep a president in office if they've committed an impeachable offense. A good economy is not an excuse to keep a president in office if they've committed an impeachable offense. There is no excuse for keeping a president in office who's committed an impeachable offense. None. Good economy. Doesn't matter. Election next year. Doesn't matter. Overturning an election. Not true. 
shouldn't be partisan. Well, times are different now, founding fathers. I'm really sorry that we've we've come to this, but we have, and it's sad and it's awful. But we live in a time where there is a majority of that if a majority party is in control, they're actually willing to defy the Constitution to allow a foreign nation to interfere in elections. Sorry, guys, but that's where we're at. And it's sad. And it's scary. And I don't understand. Donald Trump is not a god. He's not even that good at his job. He's he's not. You know, if if Donald Trump weren't Donald Trump and he were just some Republican, I, I actually think Republicans would think even less of him. I, there's some charm to Donald Trump that keeps some minuscule portion, some that keeps his base enthralled. And if that charm wasn't there and you just had his policy, if this was Mitt Romney, if, if Mitt Romney had done this and this was a Mitt Romney economy, but there was just none of the entertainment value that Donald Trump brings to the table, I think the approval rating would be sub 30%. And I think impeachment would be a guarantee. And I think this base that has been drummed up, that has Republican, the entire Republican Party held hostage, this is the this is the Tea Party times two. And at some point, we need integrity. And, and, and frankly, I'm disappointed with Democrats, because this is the passion we need to be displaying about this issue, because this is real, and this is a heavy moment. And this is not just about the politics of the moment. And it should be made clear and if I were an elected official right now, if I were in the House of Representatives and I had the chance to sit in on one of these hearings, I would be calling out Republican colleagues for being unpatriotic and, and betraying their, their constitutional duty. Because if they cannot answer the question with facts as to why this is not, with all the evidence, why this is not an impeachable offense, then they have no excuse not to vote for articles of impeachment and not to vote to remove from office. The only way you believe that this is defensible, the only way, is if you believe that all the evidence before you is false. And the only way to get there, the only way to get there is to say, career, foreign, uh, career U.S., um, officials, State Department officials, career military officials, decorated officials, sat before Congress and gave sworn testimony, and they all perjured themselves. You must believe that all the witnesses perjured themselves, because guess what? It doesn't matter what Hunter Biden did or didn't do. It doesn't matter what Joe Biden did or didn't do. It doesn't matter who the whistleblower is. It doesn't matter if Adam Schiff met with the whistleblower. Sorry, guys, doesn't matter. Because all that matters is what Donald Trump did. If you want to put everyone else on separate trials, absolutely, go hold them accountable if you feel like they need to be held accountable. But none of that excuses what Donald Trump did. And Donald Trump is the president of the United States. And Donald Trump as president should be held to a higher standard. And just because Hunter Biden or just because Joe Biden or just because the whistleblower and just because Adam Schiff does not excuse Donald Trump's behavior and it does not make it any less impeachable. Not at all. So the only way you get to, I don't think any of this is impeachable. I don't think any of this happened. Is if you think these career U.S. patriots perjured themselves before Congress and then I'd ask you, why aren't Republicans pursuing perjury if they really feel they all lied? But they're not pursuing perjury. They're not even debating the facts. They're not debating the events. They're not debating the timeline. They're not debating the people who were involved. Have you asked yourself why they're not debating any of that? It's because the evidence is there and it substantiates it. And we've gotten to a point where the only Republican argument being made now is, okay, it happened. It was wrong but it's not impeachable, but we don't have an answer for why. So that's where I'm at. I'm sad and I'm angry and I'm disappointed. And I think if anyone looked at the facts, they would draw the same conclusion that I and many other people are drawing. 50%, 50% of the United States population believes that the president should be impeached and removed from office. One in every two people believes the president should be removed and should be impeached and removed from office. That number is astronomical. It may not seem like a lot. You say, oh, it's 50-50. Well, half the nation doesn't. 
Do you know what the threshold is for people to get to the point where they say, yes, you should be impeached and removed? Do you know how much evidence needs to exist for 50% of people, Democrats, Republicans, and independents, primarily independents, to get to that threshold? The, the bar is high. And one in every two Americans got there already. So we need to ask ourselves, who doesn't think it's impeachable? Do they think it's wrong? And if they think it's wrong, especially, then what is their reasoning for it not being impeachable? Specifically, lay out a case, because I feel like at this point, a case needs to be laid out as to why this is not an impeachable offense. I could go on for a while, um, but I'm going to end there. I'm going to end there today. We're a little over an hour. Um, this is impeachment episode number one. It has been an impassioned episode by me, because I'm very passionate about this, and I'm angry about this, and I'm scared for my country. And again, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic, but that, but, but there is something at stake here. Very rarely in politics, everything is overblown, right? Everything is overblown. Usually that's the norm, which makes something like this when it comes along seem minimal. It gets minimized, but this is a huge moment in American history. Impeachment has only happened four times. Donald Trump will only be the fourth president ever to be impeached by the House. But if enlisting a foreign nation to help you when your election is not impeachable, then why is impeachment in the Constitution? Because nothing else is really worse than this other than murdering someone on Fifth Avenue. So this is the New Deal. Impeachment episode number one. Podcast episode number two. Please weigh in on the episode. Leave your comments behind. Let me know what you think. Uh, feel free to, you know, message the New Deal directly on Facebook, leave some comments on the episode, we can have a discussion. I hope you guys keep listening. I hope that I wasn't too ridiculous today. And I will see you guys in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to the New Deal. I'm Jerry Nutini. I'll talk to you soon.